I should um, I should let you know that the breakup that I was experiencing last week seems to be going a little bit better. There seems to be a, a thaw in the relations there, and uh, sleep seems to be coming around. Uh, not as much as I would like, but uh, uh, seems to we're, we're working it out. We're working it out, so that's a, that's a blessing. Um, my mother is. Uh, I spoke to my my mum last night, and uh, she's booked her flight to come over here next week. Um, so there's a possibility that she'll be here um, in Banbridge um, on Sabbath because I'm not sure she can be in Larne for the for the whole day. Um, but if you do see her wandering around Banbridge, please call me straight away. Um, she cannot be left unattended um, at any given time. So we are we're continuing in, in uh, the book of Acts, um, and we're in Acts chapter nine. Um, at, for today, um, there's so much that happens in Acts chapter nine that I, I couldn't really um, cover everything in in one sermon. So I'm just looking at the first the first few verses here, and so our scripture reading today is taken from Acts chapter nine, uh, verses one to six. The book of Acts uh, chapter nine and verses one to six. Acts 9, verses 1 to 6. Then Saul, uh, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will do and you will do, and you'll be told what you must do. Um, the title for presentation this afternoon is Lessons from Saul. Lessons from Saul. Shall we bow our heads? Our Lord and Father, we pray that in these next few moments that um, your spirit would uh, fill each and every one of us, that we may um, hear um, exactly what you want us to hear. Uh, may uh, your words come through uh, like a, a symbol, Lord, to each one of us, and so that we may apply them to our lives. This is my prayer, God, in your name. Amen. In the famous story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the police try to apprehend and find Mr. Hyde. Uh, he has done some gruesome things and some uh, horrible things to people. Uh, all the while, in the background, is the kind and gentle Dr. Jekyll. Someone who could not be further from Mr. Hyde. But, as the story goes, spoiler alert, they turn out to be the same person. Uh, Mr. Hyde was a secret that he was desperately hiding from everyone. He didn't want anyone to know that he could be or become something so ghastly and so beastly. Uh, there was a great struggle for Dr. Jekyll because... He liked the freedom that he experienced in being Mr. Hyde, but he hated the consequences that it brought. 
Don't worry, I'm not turning church into an English literature class. I am going somewhere with this. I think to some extent we can all identify with this idea or this concept of internal struggle. We are faced with situations sometimes almost on a daily basis where we stop and almost have to have a conversation with ourselves. Should I give that piece, that person a piece of my mind? Why should I be nice to that person if they're not being nice to me? Uh, that person just cut me up. I wonder if anyone would notice if I wound down the window and signalled at them. Should I eat that cake or not? Should I turn off the TV or not? All the time, on a daily basis, there is a struggle, an internal struggle, for us to simply do the right thing. And it's not always as straightforward as it sounds, for there are situations and people and circumstances which test the very fibre of our being. It's almost like there is a good side and a dark side to all of us. And we battle within ourselves and we ask God for the grace of God to help us let the good side prevail. I think it's fair to say that for Saul of Tarsus, the dark side was winning. He had gone full Mr. Hyde on the Christians and was happy to do so. He was making it his life goal to get rid of Christians. Uh, To his mind, they were in the wrong. They were speaking heresy and they needed swift and brutal punishment to stop the movement from progressing. Uh, Chapter 9 brings to our attention an event of massive consequence for the storyline of Acts. It would have huge implications for the global expansion of the Christian mission. The coming to the faith of the Apostle Paul, who is the largest single contributor to the New Testament, was an event of tremendous significance. The Bible says in our scripture reading that he sought permission from the authorities to put an end to the surge of people following the way in Syria. And so it was, he headed towards Damascus. Damascus was around 150 miles away. I was talking to Andre about this yesterday. 150 miles is no joke. There were no planes, there were no trains, there were no automobiles in these times. This was just a horse and walking. It's like going from London to Birmingham, from Edinburgh to Lisbon, from here to the campsite in Athlone. This was no joke. Saul was so serious, so determined that the Christians needed to be dealt with, that he was prepared to travel to eradicate them. And he would soon find that he would be travelling later on in his life for other reasons. And so it was that whilst they were travelling, Saul and his band of merry men, that a great light from heaven struck him and a, a voice called to him from heaven. It's interesting that the soldiers saw the light. They heard the sounds, but they did not hear the words. Saul was knocked off his horse, struck blind by the glory of God, and thus his road to Damascus experience began to unfold. When you look at Saul on the road, you see a man who was very zealous, who actually thought he was doing God a service by persecuting others. He probably could have given you a a logic and a, a rationale for doing what he was doing. But in spite of his great learning, he and many others like him didn't understand what the Old Testament taught about the Messiah. Indeed, many self-righteous people do not see their need for a saviour and do not want to acknowledge or be told that they are sinners. Saul was a religious person. But he was a person, a religious person, who was unsubdued by the Holy Spirit, who hadn't been impacted by Christ. 
And such a person is dangerous. Such a person can even become a terrorist, a spiritual terrorist, imposing their will on themselves and others in defiance of the will of God. Saul became just that, a spiritual terrorist. He was a religious man, but we, ladies and gentlemen, need to be more than religious, more than just filled with dogma and doctrines, filled with rules and regulations and filled with Bible texts, because Saul was filled with all of this. But he was not filled with Christ, nor the Holy Spirit. Religion, without the presence of Christ, creates a bigot, an arrogant, self-adulating, legalistic bigot. A persecutor, a person who more than anything creates a a self-worship whereby there can be no doubt. I'm right and you're wrong. Knowing about God and knowing God are two different things. Saul was a, a religious person but he was someone who was not subdued by the Holy Spirit and there is nothing more dangerous. The greatest terrorists in the world today are religious people. In the name of God, they maim, they kill and they destroy. If the Spirit of God does not own your life, you are dangerous. You are capable of anything. You become judgmental, unreasonable, unbending, unyielding, unsubmissive and therefore face the possibility of losing out on the kingdom of heaven. Show me a Seventh-day Adventist who thinks that being a Seventh-day Adventist suddenly means that they are more right than everyone else and I will show you someone who is further from the kingdom than they think. These legalists, they have an opinion on everything. They can explain things that no one else can. Their viewpoint is the only viewpoint. Their head, are, their head, are full of te- head is full of texts. They can explain prophecies and the like. But you still can't stand to be around them. This was Saul. This was, is what he was like. God cannot save an unsubmissive spirit. He cannot save someone who is never wrong. And when you use religion to cover yourself with arrogance, it insults the Lord. The first step to being saved is always to be able to say that I'm wrong. Saul had become full of himself and full of religion. Notice how the Bible introduces him. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, him being Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. A man is being stoned to death and pious Saul is holding the garments and the cloaks of those who are stoning him. He is sanctioning the murder. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul agreed with the death of Stephen chapter 8 and verse 3 as for Saul he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off uh, men and women committing them to prison he had no feelings so get this this is a religious man who had no compassion 
And I have problems with people who have been in the church a long time but lack compassion for others. Uh, Pastor, they still have pork in their refrigerator. Number one, mind your own business. And number two, you still eat ice cream, so that might kill you quicker than any meat can. The unsubmissive, uh, can't admit they're wrong kind of person always has rules for everyone else. But when it applies to them, well, God understands. So there is Saul, no compassion. Uh, But church, we have to be so much better than this. We need to have compassion for others. People in the church are struggling. People might not be doing all the stuff that you want them to do, but they're here. They came, they're in the pews, they showed up. Saul, with his uncompassionate self, he was taking women and children and men out of their houses and hauling them into jail with joy and satisfaction. And this was a religious man. In our scripture reading in Acts chapter 9 verse 1, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. If you were thinking of someone who was to be a promising candidate to lead the church into the next phase of its history, someone who is breathing threats and murder against the Lord's disciple would not have been top of that list. Paul, Saul, describes himself as a Pharisee, a Pharisee from the uh, tribe of Benjamin. And as a Pharisee, he believed in the coming of the Messiah. He memorized the first, the entire first five books of the Bible. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. The name Pharisee means pure ones. He and the members of his sect sought to keep the teachings of Moses unblemished. Saul did not believe in any compromise. No, there were no great areas for Saul. Some of us had better be glad that Saul was not the pastor of this church or any church. He might have issues with you before you even got through the door. The Pharisees were dominant in the Sanhedrin. They taught in the synagogues. They ran the church. Religious people running the church. But don't get confused with being religious and being saved. Because with all that Saul had, he still lacked a complete dependence on God. Saul's religion had become his backbone and not the God of his religion. We need to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are dependent on God, uh, to have Jesus as our guide and not ourselves or our religion. There are two things that I especially want to highlight to you about Saul. First was that he had an unsubmissive spirit, and secondly, that there was a defiance to Saul and his actions, an unwillingness to admit that he was wrong. So let's break this down. An an unsubmissive spirit. This is just plain old arrogance. Thinking you know better what to do with your life than the God who created you. Defiance. Unwillingness to admit admit that you're wrong. In most human relationships, it manifests itself in being a person who refuses to say, I'm sorry. A person who refuses to apologise, unwilling to admit that they are wrong. A person who is unwilling to admit that they're wrong or to submit to the Lord or to the workings of God in their life will have trouble being saved. Have you ever thought that your sins are personal against God? We don't always take that in. We don't always recognise that. Sin is not just some act on your part against God's law. 
when you sin, you are personally hurting God. It's painful for him because he knows that if you continue down this road, you could be lost. Jesus openly asks Saul the question, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do we think that when we are sinning, when we are doing wrong, that we are persecuting God? If we did, would we change the way we operated and the way that we functioned? For example, I love my aunts. They are, they are a huge support, source of support and, and love and encouragement in my life. But if I was doing something to hurt them, if I knew that I was causing them hurt or upset or pain or grief, I would make sure that I would modify my behaviour because I'm not comfortable, it doesn't sit well with me, that I would be the reason or the cause of their distress. And many of us here, if faced with a, a similar situation, would react in the same way. We don't want to hurt the people that we love. But what about when it comes to God? Do we react, do we apply the same principles when it comes to him. If you're anything like me, then the answer is no. Because I can't always see him. I know some of the things that I do are wrong, but I keep calm and carry on anyway. But I know, we know, that all sin grieves God. But the rationale that the rationale, the logic of what I'm doing could be hurting God somehow doesn't always enter our minds. Uh, because we can't see him like, we, like I can see my aunts or the people that we love and care about, we get more comfortable about doing those things that we shouldn't, that are against God's will, than we really should. Saul thought that he was helping God. He thought that he was in the will of God, but he was, he was actually in the words of God himself, persecuting God. I wonder how many, how true this would be for, for us here today. How many of us think that we are helping God when in actual fact we are doing more harm than good? I'm not saying that this is true for all of us sat here today, but maybe some of us need to reflect on our actions, the things that we say in our behaviours and ask ourselves, is this really what God wants me to do? Or is it more of a case of, I'll do what I want and hope that God will bless me and go along with my wishes? We think that we are doing God a favour, but sometimes we don't always know what we are doing. But the reality is, church, my brothers and sisters, Saul was in the church. This wasn't a man on the road. This wasn't, the, this wasn't society or the government. This wasn't to do with some kind of agenda. Saul was in the church. He was a man who knew scripture. So we have to be careful that we in the church end up, don't end up doing more harm than good. We are one body. We should not be out to hurt or harm other parts of the body. The unwillingness to admit that you could be wrong starts to manifest itself in defiance. Saul heard what the Christians had to say, what they presented. He heard the sermon of, of Stephen, yet he still hardened his heart against the message that he received. This defiance will increase and increase unless Jesus is real in your life, until the point where you do what you want or do as you please. Saul will be quoting the commandments and then treating people, good people, terribly in that very same day. So these types of people end up telling God what to do, 
I know the Bible says this and that, but I'm not really feeling that. I'm not ready for that in my life. I don't think that's necessary. But we could read the Bible from cover to cover, from beginning to end, and the Bible never asks you what you think. Defiance starts in your head. And it's, it's a form of resisting God, a rebellion against God. And we are seeing this, the manifestation of this type of defiance in our world and our society today. But I want you to be encouraged. Because in spite of this, in spite of our defiance and sometimes our own unsubmissiveness, in spite of the, the condition that we find ourselves in, God does not leave us as we are. Uh, God says, I, I can't wait uh, for them to sort themselves out. I'm going to come and help them out. I'm going to come in their dirt and help them to get straight. If Je- Jesus could have left Saul to it, he could have left him to, to carry on walking the road he was on, but God is persistent. He just wants to save you and I. He's in, Jesus is in the saving business. We try to complicate it, but this is the gospel. God uh, getting involved with dirty folks and cleaning them up and turning their lives around for the better. Sin emerges as increasing defiance. So we need to be on our guard that if we don't let the Spirit of God come into our lives, that that defiance will not, become, will not remain static, it will increase. So we need to be mindful, we need to be watchful of this. Because while many of us are not willfully persecuting others like Saul was, we still want to do our own thing and go our own way. And we can be unresponsive to the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can be unresponsive when Jesus is calling and guiding us. And that's a dangerous place to be. But when you have the Spirit, when the Spirit comes into your life, it brings a new sense, a new perspective to you. One of the proofs that Jesus or the Holy Spirit owns your life is that you're able to say, I've messed up. It gives you a sense of your own sinfulness. The person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is never too proud to say, I'm wrong. That's a, a sign that the Holy Spirit actually owns your heart. Man, you and I, we cannot transform ourselves by our own will. It has to come from God. We have no power to make the necessary changes ourselves. And this is where Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in to help us. The issue today is not that you need more of the Spirit. The issue today is that the Spirit needs more of you. He needs, he needs more of you. You need to get out of the Spirit's way. Unlock the attic of your soul. Stop having places in your mind, in your life where God can't go. Saul had gotten so full of himself and religion that there was no room for the life-giving, life-transforming power of Jesus and his spirit in his life. And we don't want to fall into that same trap either. We here in Banbridge, we want to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are dependent on God. It's a journey I hope many of us are ready to take. Or maybe there are still some areas that we're not really ready to admit that we are wrong. The moment that God knocked Saul off his horse, he was in utter self-despair. I thought what I was, was enough. I thought what I believed, 
was enough. I believed that I was right. But God looked to him and said, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this fellow Saul. And suddenly the the proud, arrogant, Sabbath-keeping, Bible-quoting, non-pork-eating, tithe-returning Saul was flat on his back. And God was asking him, who are you fighting? Who do you think you are? Telling me what you will and will not do. And Saul from the ground says, uh, who's talking? Who is, it that's, who, is, who is it that's talking to me? He doesn't even know who he's talking to. He was religious, but he didn't know who his saviour was. Christ had to introduce himself. I am Jesus against whom you fight. My brothers and sisters, do not force your saviour to humble you. Some of us are still finding out, we're still trying to figure out what it means to be loved by a God who is so determined to save us. We are still figuring out how far he is prepared to go. He will take away what he needs to take away from you in order to save you. He will take you off your horse if it means you reaching the kingdom. God sets the rules, not us. We don't like to be wrong, but we are wrong. We grow up wrong, we take on more wrong, and we become comfortable with the wrong in us. And so even as church people, sometimes God must bring us to despair before we can see ourselves. So that we, don't, we stop caring about what people think and we just want to be saved. God loves you and I, each of us, too much to let you go without a fight. He will stop you on the horse that you are on. He will knock you off it if he has to. We should endeavour to spend this week praying for submissiveness, to surrender to God, so that we can ask God to help us to be better in our lives. Yes, there is a, a battle going on on the inside of all of us. It may not be of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde proportions, but maybe more identifiable is the battle between Saul and Paul. Yes, there are many lessons to learn from the story of Saul, because if the truth be told, there is way too much Saul in some of us and we need more of Paul. Maybe you've seen something in yourself that you don't like or you see something in yourself which you know is defiance against God. You know it, you know what it is. Areas, beliefs, practices, attitudes, whatever it is. It is my prayer that the Lord will help us to not let our, over, our defiance overwhelm us. When Saul set off for Damascus, that journey of 150 miles, he unexpectedly came across a sudden initiative of God. And when he asked who it was, the reply would have rocked him to his core. I am Jesus, a sentence which in an instant both shattered and reformed Saul's entire world. All the driving anger burning in his spirit against the Christians collapsed as he recognised that Jesus was alive. The Christians have been right all along. Stephen was murdered for no reason. I have been mistaken. What have I done? I have been hurting his precious people. I have been hurting God himself. He can see nothing. His condition, his blindness, now epitomises the spiritual darkness and his helplessness. But the good news is, that God was able to turn a cruel wolf into a sheep. Paul was a great man, 
says Charles Spurgeon, and I have no doubt that on the way to Damascus he rode a very high horse, but a few seconds sufficed to alter that man, and how soon God brought him down. Saul faced some hard realities that day and made some new discoveries. He discovered that Jesus of Nazareth was actually alive. He also found that he was a lost sinner. Saul thought that he had been serving God when in fact he was persecuting the Messiah. His whole outlook, his whole worldview changed. He was a new person because he trusted in Christ. The Lord had a special work for him to do. He was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The persecutor would become the preacher. The legalistic Pharisee would become the great proclaimer of the grace of God. Up till now, Saul had been like a wild animal, fighting against the goads. But now he would be a vessel for the Lord and preach the gospel in the far-off places. What an incredible turnaround. So where can you and I learn from Saul today? What areas in our lives do you and I need to make a change? In the various internal struggles that we have, I encourage you to call on Jesus and his Holy Spirit to help you win that battle. In closing, I will share a well-known story. A story that originated from the Cherokee or Native American legend. And it's called The Two Wolves. A Cherokee elder was teaching his grandchildren about life. He said to them, a fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf represents fear, anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, hatefulness and lies. The other stands for joy, peace, love, hope, humbleness, kindness, friendship, generosity, faith and truth. This same fight is going on inside of you and inside every other person too. The children thought about it for a minute and then one child asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The Cherokee elder replied, the one that you feed. My church family, I encourage you to ask Jesus to help you in this battle. Let him feed the goodness and the kindness in you so that in each of us there will be less of Saul and more of Paul, less of self, and more of Christ. Amen.